Now I'm curious. I don't know that I know your shed details. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to get together after this meeting. I mean, and, uh, thank you for asking me. Yeah, shed some light on. That's right. Pun intended. Oh, this thing is right there. And uh, so thank you for asking me. Uh, my, my name is Aaron DeBlois. I'm an alcoholic. Yes. Good to be here with y'all. Sobriety date is December 1st, 2002. And this is my home group. Um, good group. Best group ever. I knew Madeline would like that. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm here, I guess, you know, want to tell you a little bit about what I was like, how I lived, what happened to me, what that jumping off place looked like, and um, what sobriety and recovery has done for me and what my life looks like today and how, I, how I've grown past just not drinking. Um, hopefully, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish this by sharing with you what it looked like, you know, how I grew a relationship with God and how I learned to trust a higher power and how I remained willing to be teachable and to, to apply these principles that we learn in these meetings in my life. The actual practical application of these steps, you know. Um, I read them for a long time before I actually started applying them. And they work a lot better when you start applying them in your life. And um, so I'm just going to get right at it. You know, I, uh, I, I'll just start by saying that, you know, I'm the youngest of six kids. My mom left when I was seven. I can talk in detail about that moment, and I can still feel that anguish and pain from that, from that situation. And the best I can tell, I wasn't right after that. You know, I don't know that I was right before that. I was pretty young. <laughs> Good chance I wasn't. I just hadn't blossomed in my full craziness yet. And um, so fast forward a little bit, and... Uh, I had two, I could rest, best I can recall, I had two experiences with alcohol before I was 16, somewhere between 12 and probably 16. <laughs> but one was I, uh, I woke up in a pile of vomit on, on my dad's girlfriend's front porch. And the other was I pulled the knife on a neighbor at a keg party. And, uh, and I was fully uh, willing to stab him because... Um, <laughs> He insulted my integrity or my honor, whatever that looks like for a 13-year-old. <laughs> Drunken punk, but I, I had some, I guess. But, but you know, I, I just want you to understand that's exactly what alcohol... I didn't have any bright... I didn't think to myself the next day, I, oh, I want to do it again. I was like, holy crap. I was kind of like, man, who was that guy? You know, like, because I walked around on this earth just a scared dude, you know, full of fear and, and feeling less than. And um, you pour alcohol on me. And I'm just, I don't care. I'm just, you know, I, I just as soon, I didn't care what you thought. You know, I kind of turned into a bit of an animal. And I, um, that just characterizes my drinking. The book talks about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that was truly me. You know, I, I would drink extremely fast and consume a lot of alcohol. And when I, when I, was, when I, was, when I was in the bottle or in the cups, as the book talks about, I was really just, just an angry dude. You know, at 16 years old, again, I started drinking alcoholically. I know that today. I didn't call it that then. At 16, I drank to escape purposefully. You know, I didn't, interested in catching a buzz or hanging out with friends or all that happened for a little while. And, uh, but um, it was about escape. I did not want to feel the way I felt anymore. So I, um, so I, I jumped in both feet at 16 and I stayed just angry and drunk so that dr jekyll and mr hyde what it, what it really looked like was that you know when that alcohol wore off i mean when i had it in me i was just like a self-proclaimed badass i really i'd start a lot of fights i'd 
like to throw bodies around and, and I liked getting beat up. I didn't have any, I, I loved it all. I, I didn't, I didn't care what it looked like, but in the morning or when that alcohol wore off, I was scared, full of fear. I mean, I just was under the table, sucking my thumb, wanting somebody to come take care of me and tell me everything's going to be okay. You know? Um, so that was really my drinking. You know, I drank through, I drank through a lot of relationships. Um, one nice shed and uh you know i that shed was a just uh you know a lot happened between the time i i, I was 16 and the time i got to that shed i assure you i mean i i i was i was a madman I, I i managed to get married in this time i i i basically was trying not to drink for the nine month period you know I, i've shared this but i asked my wife to marry me after three weeks and nine months later we were married and uh, a lot of that was just trying to maintain some level of what a normal drinker would look like to get her down the aisle and I shared with her just Sunday. We were out having a nice evening. I'm like, you know, my friend John, who was my best man in my wedding, I was like, his job was to look out that window and tell me when she pulled up because I wasn't sure she was coming, you know, <laughs> and bring me a, Jack, a glass of Jack Daniels and tell me when she's coming, you know. Um, and he did. He, did. he probably did a good job, you know. And uh, he says she's here. I said, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, it was, and it started, you know. It was just uh, so... A few months later, I was basically unemployable, and um, uh, due to my alcoholism, and um, you know, I, I got the idea of shooting up people's houses. I performed surgery on myself. I, um, I just, I just lived in a dark place. I mean, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, yeah, I know. Hey, if you need more details after this talk, I'll be happy to, you know. Take a number and I'll meet you in the back. And, and, and no, I'm just kidding with you. Um, well, the reality is, is, you know, I decided tonight that I didn't want to spend a, like all night talking about that stuff. I mean, I want to identify. I want you to just know how broken I was and how dark it was for me. And then I want to tell you where I got. And then I want to tell you how I recovered, you know, how I live today. You know, um, I've been sober a little while by the grace of God. And I, um, I've learned a lot. I mean, once I stopped drinking... I had all these other problems to deal with. They were all right there. I mean, all the damage I created, all the personality defects I, I cultivated and grew. And I mean, I was like, oh my God. So, so I, I was all in, you know, I was a full-blown uh, active alcoholic and, and, and um, a young marriage. And, um, and I could see that pain on my wife's face. I had two, they weren't quite two. They turned two five days after I got sober. Uh, I still remember sitting at that table with that hat on when we were singing happy birthday to him. Just a mess, man, you know. Pretty sure I was probably crying and, you know, um, you know, but I, I was of no use to that family. As a matter of fact, I, I was a liability, you know. Um, I can tell you that before I got, before I got sober, um, she couldn't trust me. I have twins. They're 21 years now, but she couldn't trust me with them. Not that I would physically harm them, but I would, you know, my idea of babysitting was set them in the, set them in the, in the French doors there in the kitchen and their little bouncy things, strap them in good, and then go to my shed. <laughs> and I could see them from a distance, so I can see them, you know, and sometimes it looked like they were crying. And <laughs> that's rotten, but, you know, so that's why they were always safe. I kept them safe because they, they couldn't move. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 
I'm gonna stop. <laughs> so listen, if you're new or even if you ain't, it's good to laugh. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's freeing. I mean, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm serious about where I was at. That you know, for, for me to stand up here and laugh and joke around with you all is a gift. It is a it is a blessing of sobriety. I tell you. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time isolating in that shed, and my wife. She would tell me that I'd be out there for like 20 minutes, I mean two hours, and I'd swear it was like 10 minutes. And she'd always come knocking, you know. And then it got pretty dark there, you know. Um, so we moved. Uh, you know, I got in a lot of trouble up north. I, I got arrested. I showed up to court drunk. And um, my lawyer told the judge that I'd been drinking, and that doesn't ever work out real well. And um, so I was driving my 10-speed around, and drinking with the winos behind the uh, ShopRite liquors and uh, on my way to an A quarter point of AA meeting. And, uh, you know, one time I came out and somebody had run over my bike, but they also stole my bottle that I had in my little bag. And that really was wrong. Um, I mean, I didn't care about the bike. Truthfully, I drank half a bottle on the way to that AA meeting half, and just get my paper signed. So when I say I really had limited exposure to AA, I, I really did. I mean, I just showed up and felt sorry for y'all and you know, saw that basket coming by, you know, I'll put a dollar in, I put a five in just because, man, it's sad here. And, uh, you know, I just start feeling that way because uh, I'm a generous guy. No, I'm... So what happened really is that I, uh, I came in from the shed one night and my wife was saying something to me. I don't want to say she was yelling at me or nagging me. I mean, it could have just been like, hey, I could see it. I mean, we were newly married. I was unemployed because of my drinking. I'm running around with guns trying to shoot people's houses up. I'm like, it's a mess. Um, you know, um, I'll tell you, up to that time, I spent 10 years trying to treat my, un my un untreated alcoholism through psychiatric care and medication. I had at least two well-documented well mental illnesses when I got here, but they didn't know anything about my drinking. I never, I never told anybody about that, you know. And listen, so if I say something here, I'm not saying to offend anybody, and I'm not saying anything. I'm just sharing my experience with you. That's it. Um, so if you find something offensive, I apologize, but it's just my truth, you know. Um, so she had all that going on. I had all that wonderful stuff going on in this prize of a husband she just captured, right? Like, I, I question her now. I'm like, man, what are you doing? But, um... So I came in the house and basically just that darkness was all me. I mean, I, I didn't know how to escape. I, growing up, I came from that broken family and all I ever wanted was a family. I wanted to be part of that. And I had it right there. I mean, literally like a new house, the fence was white and the dog was yellow and I had two boy and a girl kids. And I was just thrashing and tearing apart just as hard as I could. And I, I didn't want to. So I had all that anguish and I saw that pain in her eyes and and I came in the house one time and, and I don't know what she said, but you know, but I, I punched the wall above her head, you know, in the living room and I still remember in that in that hallway and um and I told her I was gonna kill her. She said another word, and then I was gonna kill myself. And just like that knife I pulled on a neighbor, I meant it. I was there, I was done, I was checked out and um you know, I just thank God she, she didn't say another word, you know. Um, what she started doing was preparing for the exit, you know, which is good. I'm, I'm, she should have, you know. But I um, I remember going into the, the room and, and trembling and um, and uh, shaking and, and crying and, and not realizing what was going on with me. Like, why? Oh, my God, you know, that's like, that's pretty dark. 
and it scared me because I felt like I meant it. Like I was on that edge, and if if, if something had gone just a, a feather one way or the other, I feel like it, it could have been really bad. And so I was really perplexed by that, and I needed answers. So I I put together a, a plan on how I was going to get sober. And is that on the bingo card? Okay. Um, so the plan was a good plan. I was going to bring it with me today, but truth is I couldn't find it. I'll tell you what I found. I found boxes of Father's Day cards and anniversary cards and, and, and uh, you know, just letters and all just, you know. So I'm sure it's buried down there, but that's what sobriety has done for me. Um, so I, uh, I came up with the best plan. I, I, everything I've ever heard anybody share about getting sober, I was going to try. I was going to quit smoking. I was going to be a good, join a church, become a Christian. I was kind of on, in that way. I was trying to get into a church and, and get healed there. And I just kept showing up drunk or high. And um, it's hard to get the healing on you when you <laughs> in your fourth dimension. Um, <laughs> but I... Um, so I, I was earnestly seeking at that time, and um, so I wrote down this plan. It was an earnest plan, and it, it and it said it's it's ten. I'll start tomorrow. It's ten a.m. and I'm already high. So it was a good plan, and I had an execution date, which was the next day. And it, and it was a lot of things. It was like seven pages long. Like it was everything I had. It was all the power I had, you know. Um, and you know, it, it was less than a month later that I have on the plan. Plan failed. I wrote it on there. Why would I? Why would I feel the need to write that on that plan? I don't know. But I assure you, the date is real. It's when it happened, and I was distraught. I didn't know what to do, and um, so things settled down a little bit. And um, she didn't leave, which probably was a mistake because the odds that I was going to find Alcoholics Anonymous and 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 get some relief and, and get sober and grow and, and and be it you know part of that family again was the chances probably weren't in my favor. Um, so I, um, of all the damage I've done and all the drunks that I've, I've, I've gone through, I had just sat down on the patio. I think it was around Thanksgiving, you know, that week there or whatever. And I, I'm a classy dude. I broke out my little airplane bottles of Jack Daniels. And I, I had like two or three of them lined up on, on the patio. And I was, I, I drank one. And as soon as I got that ease and comfort, I thought, you know what? This, I'm going to like, I, I, I don't know that I thought this, but I think I felt like, I was going to go relieve that situation. So I went in the house and I asked for the insurance card. I said, because I'm going to try to get some help for my drinking. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think I had a problem with drinking. I thought if I could stop sucking down that cough medicine and smoking weed every day, I'd probably be okay. I was willing to put drinking down. but So she gave me the insurance card and I, and I said, but you have to understand, people are going to know. <laughs> she said, it'll be okay. <laughs> Because everybody knew, you know. I had a, she threw me a, thir a 30th surprise birthday party. Uh, and um, the gift table was just a round table. And the only thing on that table was liquor. Is that on the bingo card? Okay, nice. And, uh, but that's it. That's what people thought of me. That's what they knew me as, uh, you know. And uh, that's just what I did. Um, so I, I, I called that and I, they went over to the, the intensive outpatient place. And, and they, they, um. They took my, they did intake on me. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm smarter than this cat. I gotta, I'm gonna tell him what I need to tell him, just enough to qualify, you know. Um, and evidently, I, 
somebody's I was trying to figure out how much somebody drinks that's actually on all the medication you know and every, you know six or eight a day is probably not the right mark but um, <laughs> but he took me in you know he said so you qualify congratulations you qualify for intensive outpatient program I was like cool I made it right and uh, so I, I remember going home that night and uh, I was supposed to start on that Tuesday um, and I did and I went back to that doctor that psychiatrist been treating me for all these years and I told him that Hey, I, I'm going into treatment. I'm going into intensive outpatient. I have a, a, an addiction problem, and I'm going to go get help. So I can't take because I told them honestly about the medications I was on, and they're like, you can't take that stuff and be part of this program. I said, okay, no problem. So I went to that doctor and I told him, and he said, now wait a minute, do you have a problem with? Are you drinking? And I said, no. <laughs> just as clear as I just told you that, I and I was honest. No. He said, well, no, you're you're probably just medicating yourself. We need to adjust things and. I thought for a minute, he probably is right, but um, so I, I went home and, and I got off all the, the substances I wasn't allowed to be on to go into that program. Um, and I, I, I went home and, uh, and, and truth be told, I thought I got rid of them all and, and, and I hit on that in a minute, I didn't, but um, I, um, he told me don't do that, but I did it. So I went to one intensive outpatient program. They gave me a stack of literature, and I took it home, and I was, like, on fire. Like, yes. Man, I feel good. I was making too much. Like, you know, 12 hours sober, maybe, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> and then the ice storm, I got rid of everything that I could get my hands on in the house. And the ice storm of 2002 hit. And it was, like, locked down. You couldn't go anywhere. I tried, I tell you. I mean, um, and I had, like nothing and, and I started detoxing at home and I tried to get out but I gotta tell you what happened you know my wife at that time she'd been praying for me I'll be quite honest with you I think the only reason she was involved in church and religion was to get me sober because they're praying for me and our family I don't mean that bad but she needed some hope and she found it there but she was prepared because when I was detoxing and, and sweating and trembling and seeing all those things that weren't really there and she kept telling me you know she read me those bible scriptures and she told me that she prayed with me and i know that one's on there and she prayed with me and she um she told me i was going to be okay she told me she loved me and it was all going to be all right you know she, the un, undeniable support like i i'm not capable it certainly wasn't at that time understanding it looking back i see that like how unselfish was that you know um, she should have just threw me out of ice and said, hey, you know, deal with it, you know. But uh, she didn't. So through this process, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I have like some epiphany. I have a, a moment of clarity, if you will. Uh, and I remember just popping up and I'm like, if I don't quit drinking, I'm never going to have any kind of life. It, that thought just came to me. Like it was just God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because I had was very reluctant to point at alcohol because it had done for me for many years but nothing else would. It was my friend, my, you know, it gave me confidence. It allowed me to do things I normally wouldn't do of my nature. It took away my fear and, and damn the consequences, you know. I mean, they were brutal for everybody around me. But I was focused on that on that, that solution. It was my solution, you know. Um, if, if, I could have, if I could have mentally or spiritually uh, handled drinking any longer, I would have kept doing it. I was just broken, you know. Um, you know, I'd like to say the thought of my wife leaving and and all those things, um, 
would have stopped me from drinking, but I don't believe they would have. I mean, they scared me enough because, quite frankly, I thought that if she left, that governor would be off, you know, and that without that, I mean, what that looked like was my controlled drinking, you know, all of that, you know, and um, I knew if she left it, that I was going to be, uh, it was going to be on. Mm. So I started praying. I remember that with her just reading that stuff, going for walks. You know, she had all these, it's like she'd been waiting for this day. She had like <laughs> index cards with prayers and, and I just, she gave them to me and I would keep reading them. And um, so I kept, they, when, when I went to this intensive outpatient program, they gave me all this literature about, um, I guess it's an open program. It doesn't matter what you are, C-A-N-A, A-A, you know, whatever. Um, so there was a bunch of numbers in there. I just started calling everybody. I needed some relief because I was not in a good place. I mean, I called everybody twice. Every intergroup, every association, every, you know, anonymous program within, you know, North Carolina that I get my hands on. And uh, But what I, what I found was I found that I got a guy on, I think it was Holly Hill. And, um, and... I told him my whole story. I got him. And I said, "Man, I'm freaking out." You know all this stuff, and he he says, he just he told me that he was a, he he just worked there. He was a janitor. <laughs> he said I was walking by the phone and it rang. You know, and, uh, I was like, "Oh." <laughs> I thought he was going to share some words of wisdom with me, but what he said, I swear to you, what he said is, "As I'll pray with you." So I just got quiet and he prayed and I cried and, and I felt okay when we got off that phone for a little while. I mean, it was clear to me that. God was showing up and trying to help me, you know. Um, and in hindsight, it's clear that, you know, I can't put a limit on what God's going to do with a little bit of right action on my part. And to me, that's what service is, right? And Alcoholics Anonymous, and really in our lives in general, is showing up and letting God figure the rest out. I shouldn't stand in judgment and, and all those things, but you know, I'll get to the, those things I've learned. And um, so I called her. Um, I called, I kept calling. I got somebody over to intergroup. And uh, this woman who I don't know, another saint, this is before the hotline, Madeline. And uh, this is when you called the intergroup. And, uh, and she answered. She said, hey, there's going to be a meeting over in Cary, a beginner's meeting on Friday night. If you can get there, I'll introduce you to some of the men. I got there. I mean, I put sand in my truck. I put shovels and ropes and chains. And I was like, oh, man, on a mission. Like, I had been cooped up. I mean, we were locked down for a long time. And... I mean, I dug my truck out of a several ditches. I didn't know where I was. I didn't have any GPS. And, you know, so I, you know, trying to follow directions, and it was a mess. I got there. I got close there, and then I walked the rest of the way. Because it used to be down that hill, and, and I couldn't get down that hill. I don't even know where, still where it was. Um, but they had no power, and that woman met me there. And she, she brought me over, and she introduced me to some men. I don't know who she was or what she did, but she, she followed through with her word. She was where she said she would be, and she did what she said she would do. And I was like, bam, I was saved again. And they gave me a, a list of uh, temporary sponsors, and um, best I could tell, I, I called a guy, called a couple guys, I think, and, and went to a meeting on Saturday. I think that was Friday night, went to a meeting on Saturday, and he was clear he was a busy dude, and that, you know, he's just a temporary sponsor, you know. Um, I don't have any experience being a temporary sponsor, but if you need one, I'm here for you. <laughs> um, so, he, but he showed up, 
and he, he told me that I was going to have to find a real sponsor. Like, you know, so I went to, I remember again, my wife, I'm like, man, where am I going to go? I have meetings all over the place. She's like, well, there's a, there's a beginner's meeting in Willow Springs. I'm like, <laughs> Willow, what? Like, you know, where is that place? You know, I'm thinking it's a hundred miles away. And uh, so I showed up on Sunday night, Willow Springs. Broke. I remember a lot of people were there. And Jerry was there. Richard was there. Brian was there. Um, just a lot of a lot of people that we see in the program still here today were there. And uh, I remember it was clear, you know, I went in there and I, I, I met somebody at the door. I said, I'm going to have to find a sponsor. And he didn't want any part of me. He's like, <laughs> go on in there. This guy's like, okay. <laughs> Because I was just willing. I remember I walked up to, to Jerry and Richard. And I'm like, you know, how you doing? They I th they asked me how I was doing. I think I said I'm I think I'm going crazy. And they, they asked me how sober how long I've been sober. And they said, well, you probably are. And uh, and I it was pretty evident because I was literally like crying and I said blowing snot bubbles. I mean, I was coming out. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, there was no pride left. I was absolutely broken. I I didn't I didn't wasn't worried about what I looked like or what you know. Thank God that Alcoholics Anonymous was there and the traditions were being followed and there was people there to help me because I didn't know anything. So they brought me in and I, quite frankly, I, I was slated to go back to this intensive outpatient program. I thought I was legally committed to do so. I don't know what it was, but I was like, you know, I have to go back. And, you know, they met with me and basically told me that they had what I needed that they would they would bring me the alcohol synonymous and they would they would take care of me they would put me on a path and they would they would help me with the solution that I didn't have to go back there if I didn't want to and I didn't want to you know so I was like okay you know what do you do and uh, so I showed up and uh, man as best I can tell I just started doing what we do I, I know that for a while my sponsor met with me twice a week and he met with everybody else once a week you know I think I was like a, an aggravated case um he told me I was. I don't know if he was being funny, but he said, we might want to meet. And uh, and we kind of quickly, you know, walked through the steps. And, and I can tell you that I, I was crying a lot for six months. You know, I'd be sitting there, he'd be reading a book to me, and, and I, I'd just start crying, you know. And, you know, thank God he didn't ask me if I was okay. He just paused. He might, on a good day, he might ask me if I need a tissue. But, you, you know, other than that, we just kept motoring on. He knew I needed access to the solution in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That he had very little power. I had to get that power from God, and I was going to do it through this program. And he, he understood that. I understand that today. That's what he did. And just as quickly as he could, they, they, he brought me through those steps. And, you know, it was, I don't think I was three weeks sober, and they had me picking up guys out of getting out of Wake Correctional Facility and taking them to their first meeting that night. And I was scared. I was like, man, these guys are going to take me out, you know, or something. I'm in trouble. And uh, what's going on? And, you know, you can have GPS. So you're driving around. You look all creepy. And you're like, you know, trying to look. And then, you know, and now pops a guy who looks just regular like you and me. I'm like, huh, okay. And he gets in the car. And and I can immediately be of use. I could be of service. I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what that looked like. But I could drive him to a meeting. I, I mean, I could talk with him, you know, um, and, some of them had very little exposure with A on the outside, was able to be of service immediately. And I can tell you, driving home felt a whole lot different than driving there. You know, uh, just taking somebody to a meeting and had nothing better to say. My life was just an absolute shit show. Sorry, I don't mean to. 
don't know if that's actually profanity or not, but um, but it was. I was an absolute wreck. I the, the, I needed every bit of the solution Alcoholics Anonymous had to offer. So they they worked me through the steps, and um, I got involved. And as soon as I could, at one year sober, I got involved in corrections and went over to away corrections for for 11 years straight you know without any interruption um but in that process i i, I found somebody who was willing to accept my you know my message or you know and i got to bring somebody through the book early on you know i don't maybe six eight months seven months sober um i had been trying before but i got this guy he was a pretty aggravated case but i'll have you know he's still sober today with no help from me <laughs> but i it was an opportunity for me to, to be of service um and I, I had no idea what that looked like, that sense of purpose that Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And then, you know, was, I was told early on that I, I should pray every morning and every night. Doesn't really matter what I think about it or, or, or whether I believe in it. Or, and I just did it. They said, you should read some AA literature every day. You should call another alcoholic, you know. And, and, you know, and you should be at your home group when it meets. That's what I was told and that's what I did. So I can share with you that my home group had two meetings on Sunday, and I met with my sponsor before the first meeting on Sunday. So for 11 years, I was gone all day on Sunday, and that wasn't always convenient. I didn't really want to do those things, um, but I wanted to stay sober, you know. I drove from Clayton to Willow Springs to go to this meeting, and that's where I found a solution, so that's where I stayed. I probably drove through a few meetings, you know, along the way. I know now that I had, you know. But I never questioned whether I should make it more convenient for myself or whether I should go to these meetings that were closer or, you know, less driving or I just didn't. Um, I was afraid to. I, I mean, if I'm truthful with you, I was just afraid to mix it up because here is a guy who absolutely was devastated by alcoholism. And now my life was starting to look a little better. You know, my relationships with my family and other people and my job, it was all like, OK, something was happening. Um, so, so I just stayed the course, you know, I don't really knew, I didn't, I don't know that I knew that you didn't have to listen to everything your sponsor said, <laughs> you know, I just, maybe that's a good thing. And I can tell you something about my personality. You ever hear analysis paralysis? Well, I'm that guy. I'll analyze the crap out of anything. When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was just that broken. I didn't try to figure anything out. I mean, I called my sponsor one time with $300 worth of different types of fertilizer in my shed. And I was in load buying more because I couldn't figure out what to put on my grass. And, like, that's just how indecisive I was about stuff, you know. I also called him sitting outside of a home, outside of a Walmart, and I was too anxious and scared to go in and buy my family presents. That's the only place I could go. And he was willing to drive there. He asked me if I needed, he needed me to drive there, you know. So I, I, I'll back up just a little bit. During this time of working through these steps, I mean, I was probably three, maybe a couple of weeks sober. I don't, I don't want to go to lying, but I've shared this with you all before. But uh, in, in that shed, you know, I, I just went in there one night and I really just wanted to die. And, um, and I basically took a second step in there on the phone and I was asked a couple questions. One was, I, did I believe in, in God? I said, yeah, you know, I've been to church and all that stuff. But then that next question is really what would, would started me on the path to be coming to believe in a power greater myself was if I was willing to believe that that power was available to me and that it could help me with my drinking problem. And willing seemed like such a, a doable thing, willing. 
So, you know, he, he sent me in the house. We said a prayer. I didn't really want to die after that. And he sent me in the house to go do the dishes. Something like that. You know, just a simple act of service, you know. So I learned all that early on. Um, so cruising along, I'm in a groove. I'm, I've arrived, right? About, I guess, I, I was doing the math today. I think I was about three years sober, four years sober, when my wife and me said, hey, I want to go to nursing school. Like, huh, I'll have to check with my sponsor on that one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I can miss that many meetings. And I knew what that meant. That meant that if she went, everything she did, I was going to have to do. And I didn't want to do that. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't interested in doing all those things. Um, so you know how that conversation went, right? I was, I was immediately told to go be of service to my family and keep my commitments in Alcoholics Anonymous and just get busier. And, and that's what I did. I mean, I, I, I've shared this before, but God just kind of bent time for the next 10 or 15 years. I mean, I was, I was working full-time. Um, I had a full-time business, uh, part-time business, I'm sorry, electrical contracting business. My wife was in school. I had two two-year-olds. I was sponsoring men and I was involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was all over the place. I was tired and exhausted, you know. But I kept moving, you know. Um, it was told to me early on that, that we were doing these things to, to, to be of service and, and to work in these steps that I didn't have to. So Not so I could feel better, so I, I would I'd be of service to other people. I mean, I know today, but that's, that's how I feel better. I mean, I know that's how I get that sense of peace and serenity, if you will, or I can feel God's grace. I, I just get those moments when I'm, when I'm focused on another human being and I'm not all wrapped up in my own head and thinking about my own plans and designs and I'm not warped by all that twisted thinking. I'm, I'm clearly engaged in something different, you know. Um, so we did that. So I, I didn't want to do that with my family, quite frankly. I really enjoyed this routine I had going on, you know, hanging in the hay, drinking coffee, eating cookies, and um, it was a good time. Um, and I felt like I was being of service and, and, uh, but through that process of, of starting to care for those kids, my family got to see what Alcoholics Anonymous looks like, that I wasn't just hiding out. And I, I'm not suggesting you should, I, I suggest that you consult with your sponsor if you decide you're going to figure out some level of balance or do anything like that. I don't even want to use that word, yeah. but, um, but I showed up for my family. And my wife went through that program, and I developed a relationship with my kids. We had a, we had a, we had a blast, actually. You know, I had little routines. I would just take them down to the gym, and the girls loved them down there. And then we'd go to McDonald's, and I mean, I, I just did that like three days a week. That was my solution. <laughs> watching the kids. But they loved it. They got playing the bounce house and eat chicken nuggets. You know, I mean, what more is a kid like? You know, I mean, mom didn't do that all the time. And uh, so I got to be the cool dad. I got to dress up as the Easter Bunny. And uh, I, I want to tell you, I've done Santa and Easter Bunny. Easter Bunny's the man. And, uh, but, you know, I showed up for that. I was asked to do something, and, and I did it. Um, it. You know, I learned it that what, what I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't necessarily just apply to AA. It's that it's actually a way of living and that I should, I should adapt those principles everywhere I go. You know, ideally that I just kind of walk around this earth and try to look for ways to be of service to other people. And then all I can share with you is I've gotten everything I've ever wanted in life and, and, and much more as, as, as that process, for, through that process. Um, so, I mean, that went well. We got through that. She was, you know, she got her, you know, dream of nursing school. 
And then I got about eight years sober, and I made the decision she probably wasn't living as spiritually as she should. And uh, I've been bending my sponsor's ear and others about how bad my marriage was and how I really deserved better. <laughs> and uh, and I genuinely meant it, you know. And um, so we were in San Antonio at the International Conference, and, and I got kind of the green light. After years of talking about this stuff, I got the green light. Maybe you guys should have a discussion on what that would look like to separate and and do with grace and, and you know, dignity and, and not full resentment and infidelity and all that stuff, you know, have a conversation. That scared me so much that I started thinking to myself that I wonder if I've done everything I've been taught. So I, I, I thought about that and, you know, on the plane ride home, I remember specifically thinking that I'm going to go home and practice what I've learned here. I'm not going to... Um, say something that's not if so, I'm going to check everything that comes out of my mouth and if it's not helpful or useful if it's not if it's controlling or, or, or demeaning or any of that stuff manipulating I'm not going to say it and quite frankly I had nothing to say for a week <laughs> I had to learn to communicate with on some level uh, that was um, that was right you know, that was moral, that was spiritual, that, you know, that, that was supportive, you know, that, um, you know, I, I like to share in that seventh tradition, you know, it talks about, fun, you know, everybody ties that to money, but, you know, being self-supporting, I, I always think that I was very not self-supporting in my home in every aspect, you know, with regards to chores and emotional, emotional, I was like a child sucking the life out of everybody all the time and I learned not to do that you know I learned to be to give and be supportive and and you know I have I have I have ways to manage those those emotions now that don't involve tearing the people down you know there's tools that I've learned um my own point okay don't touch that phone. Hey, I was going to tell you before, if it starts to rain, I'm going to keep talking until you want it to do and if you all want to leave I respect that but I'm going to be right here um a little late, Jeremy. Um, so I, uh, all I can tell you, in, in, in less than a week's time, my marriage changed. And, and it has, has not gone back to that part. I mean, it has not always been easy, but it, I have, from that time to today, I am always willing to look at what I'm doing wrong. What's my part? You know, Alcoholics Anonymous teaches us this. You know, we have a 10th step, you know. Let me tell you, if once you've made amends to a 7-year-old boy more than three or four times on the same issue, <laughs> it wears you out. It will make you grow. And he's just looking at you. He just wants an ice pop. You know, he don't care. You know, he just wants you to stop yelling at him and, and, and give him an ice pop, you know. But, um, but, I, but I learned that, you know, it doesn't matter the age or the circumstance. I have a responsibility. I have, I have, I have a structured path an Alcoholics Anonymous that I should follow. And when I follow it, when I practice it in my life, it works. Um, so that, you know, that marriage um, got a lot better. I mean, it was a challenge. Um, but got those kids out, got them through high school, and uh, they did very well. And it doesn't mean it was without any kind of issues, you know. But, but I was able to show up through all of that. And I, and, I, and I share this that, you know, I was, we were having a conversation once at dinner, and I, and I, I made the comment, I know I missed a lot of stuff, and, and both my kids jumped on me. They're like, you didn't miss anything. That's not true. Because I didn't miss my home group. And I didn't miss meeting with sponsees, you know. I might show up for games and not practices, you know. I might do those things. I might show up for those big events, you know. But I was present. And again, I, I, 
attribute all that to God. I, I think that he just, I had enough willingness to do what I was in front of me. And, and God just kind of made that happen, bent time. It's just like when sponsees or somebody comes up and asks me to help them. I'm not checking my schedule. I'm going to tell you yes, and we'll figure it out together. We'll figure out what time's going to work, and, and we'll just do those things. We'll show up. And uh, So I, I've shared this as well, but they went off to college, and, and uh, the day I dropped them, we dropped them off at two different universities, and the day we dropped the second one off and, uh, and went home, it was quiet. I cried for three days, and I just was concerned that I, I was hoping that I lived in a way that was attractive enough that they want to come back, and I can't get rid of them. <laughs> Good God. Um, so I say that lightheartedly, but no, really, I'm trying to get rid of them. But, but what I've done is I haven't destroyed those relationships. Hadn't always been smooth sailing. I don't want you to think that. But I've been able to be of service to them, just like I, I would a newcomer walking in here or somebody that works for me. Um, it's been kind of amazing. Um, and my family has gone through some things, you know, probably in the last year that, you know, death and, and a lot of personal issues with people that I care greatly about. And I, I have been available to them. I haven't let that stuff take away my ability to be of service to them and stand next to them and support them and show them what I have, show them love and tolerance, bring a little light, you know, uh, to the situation and just a little hope. And I pray. I pray with them. Uh, they don't always like to pray with me, but I pray every chance to, to listen, you know. Um, so what a gift that is. You know, I was on track to destroy all those relationships, and today I'm able to be of service. And I've learned, I mean, but that's a process of availing myself of everything alcohol sometimes has to offer. I mean, that's the truth. Being actively sponsored, being honest, being open and willing to grow and apply these things that I've learned has been huge. You know, I know this is a beginner's meeting, but practicing those principles and those traditions has really just put me in another, well, put me in another dimension um, with regards to uh, relationships. So work. I mean, I can't even explain what's happened there, and still does. I, I got no business doing the job I'm doing. I'm not educated to do it. I just, they just keep, they have kept, I kept showing up and trying to practice some principles at work keeping my nose clean, staying out of drama, not getting involved, loving and tolerant of others, just trying to practice that stuff. And, um, and through that process, I, I've, I've been given a lot of opportunities that I shouldn't have. And uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that, you know. Um, again, I was just a broken guy that showed up at Alcoholics Anonymous and this thing just grabbed hold and, and carried me through, you know. But I have followed those, those, some of those basic rules, you know, like I haven't, you know, um, I, I was, and I, I joked around with this with some of you, but like I'm, I'm the guy in my old home group, my last home, well, my first home group, and I will say that I've had three home groups and I've never left one for a resentment. Um, I've never left it because of interpersonal relations. I mean, I've had those issues, but I was just kind of, I was taught and, and worked with me to, to grow through those things so that I could I could have better skills in life, you know. Um, so um, so those home groups have been invaluable to me, including this one. I mean, it's right on point. It's just what I need right where I'm at, you know. And uh, so I, I hope that uh, 
I hope that you got something out of that that basically that, you know, the relationship I have with my higher power today is the source of power. You know, um, I, I, I thank God for good sponsorship. And that's another thing, like I have availed myself of sponsorship. Like I haven't, I've always had a, a great group of friends, like really powerhouses in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I really accepted to counsel at one person. And that's kind of what I followed. You know, I, I tended not to get overly, um, because then I get all, I get all crowded in my head, you know, and that, that's just served me well. Um, one person knows my whole life story, knows my personalities, my tendencies, and, and he gives me some pretty good guidance. I don't always listen to it, and I certainly don't like it all the time. Um, but I'm willing today to, to look at that stuff and listen to it. Um, so listen, I don't really have much more to say other than I'm a guy that's extremely grateful to be sober today. That um, I have a sense of purpose in my life through working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that I couldn't have conjured up or calculated on my own. And it's a simple process. You just show up and try to help somebody. Um, and that I learned early on that, that well, I'm not alone. That, you know, together we do this deal. I mean, we read it a lot of times on page 100, but I need you. We need each other to grow. I don't care whether one's five days sober and one's 50 years sober. We got to grow together. It ain't going to happen by ourselves. And you're moving in either one direction. You're either moving forward or, or I'm either moving forward or I'm not. I'm, I'm coming back. So that's kind of why I keep the motor on, keep the pedal down, you know. Um, and I learned that very valuable for me is that my feelings aren't facts. I've shared this before, that my emotional nature is a handicap. The book talks about it. I mean, I try not to pay too much attention to it because my emotional nature is no cl clear indication on where I am in life. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it's so I try not to pay attention to that. I just try to pay attention to what's next, do the next right thing, no matter what I think or feel about it. And... Um, and there you have it. I'm sober today. Thank you.